we are back with another episode of On the Delo. This is episode 103. That's 103 for those of you that can't follow. Um, hello, Jeff. Good morning. What's happening? How are you? I'm great. Is this the earliest I've seen you? In the day? Yeah. I don't know. I can't recall. Uh, We've been seeing a lot of each other. You go to the Henry a lot. Is that your favorite hangout? A favorite? Yeah. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, I don't have a ton of uh, other in the, in the kind of stable right now, but yeah, spending a lot of time. There, there you go. Well, you just got here, right? From New York. Fresh. So how long, yeah, how long have you been here? I think it was about September 10th. Okay. Um, God, it goes by fast. It does go fast. Um, That's when you moved here? Yeah. Holy crap. That's like two months ago. I know. I know. Yeah. So my wife, daughter, and I, and uh, yeah, we decided to, I don't want to say escape New York City, but you know, we did, did uh, spent a bunch of years there yeah. uh, since 2006. And uh, yeah, wanted to wanted to check out some sun for a little bit. Yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> what, what brought you to New York to begin with? You know, uh, following college, went to Penn State University. I was a finance and international business major. And uh first job out of college was an investment banking job at a Canadian investment bank called TD Securities. Wow. And uh, the idea there was probably spend a couple years and, um, you know, go, go maybe build a business, do something after that. But uh, uh, I would say uh, maybe the, uh, the greater financial markets, you know, had a different idea there. 2008 was a little hairy. And, uh, you know, I, I remained at the, at the investment bank uh, for probably about nine years. What, what did you learn doing that? Like, what, what is an investment banker? That's a great question. Um, when we started off, uh, my role was, uh, since it was Canadian Investment Bank, a lot of it was based on a credit relationship. Um, you know, certainly, uh, I, I would say Canadians tend to be more conservative, so a lot of banking relationships very much revolve around, you know, having a, a longstanding credit relationship. So started off there, uh, was supporting a team that, uh, you know, basically was uh, providing credit and, and other services that a bank provides um, to Fortune 500 companies. Um, but then I, I had, uh, 2008, was approached with an opportunity to sort of be employee one in a group uh, that was buying uh, a bunch of structured asset-backed securitization, residential mortgage-backed securitizations oh. and commercial. Was there a movie about that? There's a movie about that. <laughs> uh, I'll say ours was a bit more reactionary. Um, the bank had purchased another bank at a significant discount. This was after, uh, you know, kind of a lot of things were happening in late 2008. And uh, myself and a few other folks were tasked with going through that portfolio and identifying, um, you know, what what still kind of had quality and what didn't. Um, You know, we had purchased it at a pretty big discount. So uh, we went through that and uh, we were successful in identifying those. And then that sort of uh, opened up some opportunity to go now buy more student loans and credit card loans and auto loans that are all packaged up together. Yeah. uh, As well as residential mortgage-backed securities and some commercial mortgage-backed securities. Um, So what did we learn? Learned a lot. Um, Just, I I think, very high level in in the banking space. It's um, attention to detail. Yeah. Um, you learn how to, you know, use a lot of different systems. Certainly honed my Excel and spreadsheet skills uh, significantly, but uh, a really, really good job of kind of thinking holistically around, um, you know, a, a lot of problems, whether that's an individual company and in credit or you're talking about, gosh, uh, commercial mortgage-backed securitization that is, you know, a billion and a half, two billion dollars, and it has a hundred different 
loans to the small strip mall down the street to a large, you know, Simon Property Class A mall, a, a large building on, you know, Fifth Avenue in New York. Um, so it, it gave you a really good opportunity to uh, sort of analyze and understand and then concisely uh, yeah. communicate back, you know, like the positives, the negatives and uh, of each of those kind of investments. All right. So let me simplify this because you're really smart. I'm not. Um, and I want to I want to simplify this. Uh, you, you've got a I'm just gonna call it a bank. You got a bank. The bank's job is to loan money, and then when they loan money, what happens is it's not for free. The person, let's say the shopping mall that they're loaning the money to, because they got to you know buy a bunch of shit, including the mall itself and whatever else, and they got to operate it and do all this stuff. There's going to be a percentage, which is called interest. Right, so we just say it's five percent interest, you know, million dollars. Now the bank is getting a payment, usually more interest than principal, um, if that's the case. You know, if, if if the they're actually buying the, the the property itself, and so now the bank doesn't just have that one loan; they've got thousands of loans. And this is legitimately this is how banks make money. Correct? It's not really on deposits because they're not that's it's not real money. Yes. Uh, what I would say is that um, the benefit to packaging up a bunch of different loans for commercial mortgage state, uh, commercial mortgage assets or, again, credit card loans from mm. you know, individuals yeah. are that you're then creating a product that is larger than one single loan, okay. which then enables a lot of different companies and financial institutions to get much um, it, much easier to get exposure mm -hmm. at a larger level. Um, so by bundling these together, it's easier, you know, and these are going to sound like big numbers, um, to purchase $100 million of the $1.5 billion of right. the entire kind of bond that has been wrapped with now 100 individual commercial mortgage, um, you know, assets. Um, and so that that does it, it creates a liquidity opportunity for these small borrowers, smaller borrowers. Yeah. So it really opens up the market, and you have tons and tons and tons of you know international money, obviously significantly uh, gets involved in this as well. Um, and and I certainly can get in the structure, but you know I, I think the way to think about it is if. If uh, the price of the bond or you know the vehicle that's being purchased by the investor is uh, one hundred dollars, there's a hundred and thirty dollars worth of collateral mm. in that bond. Right. So ideally, um, you know, you do have sort of opportunity if there there are going to be some losses. Yeah. There's um, not ninety dollars worth of collateral. Exactly. You never make that deal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is this is basically an opportunity for the banks to provide a service, um, capture and originate a a lot of loans, and then yes, go ahead and sell those loans to buyers that you know do want exposure to. Um, you you know those types of assets, so, and and for themselves, there's a lot of mandates and regulation that the bank on its own also does have direct exposure to individual real estate as well as some of these assets. Yeah, um, but there are limits, so that's why they can't just originate and hold everything on the balance sheet, right? So they have to, uh, you know, sell that off. Both my pay grade. That's yeah. Penn State uh, no. <laughs> education there for you. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 
All right, so you, you, you get done doing all that. You get really smart, and then what, what's your next phase of life? Like, I, I know eventually we, what we want to get into is hospitality technology. I want to talk with you about that and kind of what you know about it, but kind of give us a little uh, um, transition in life here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think stepping back even, you know, it was before that, growing up, uh, you know, our family, I would say everything revolved around eating. Mm. So you're having, you know, uh, one meal, and you're talking about where the next meal is going to be. Right. Uh, I grew up in Philadelphia right Right outside Philadelphia in an area called Lower Marion. Um, and again, you know, from my grandparents, uh, you know, my grandmother lived down in Center City. You know, we would end up there once or twice a week. Every Sunday night, we would have family dinner down at a restaurant. Um, really, that's where uh, I experienced a lot of culture growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly spending a lot of time, you know, super young before, whether it's a Flyers, Sixers, you know, Eagles game, going to Chinatown with my father and, you know, having noodle soups and things like that. That, um, you know, it really kind of gave me the bug to experience and travel. Um, from, I think, my age of about 10 to 20 years old, my father then got directly involved in, and my family, we all worked in the business, uh, was an operator of some bagel franchises, some stores uh, called Manhattan Bagel. So that's where I cut my teeth, a little child labor. You know, I was working on Saturdays in the morning, you know, not, not hanging with my friends and would complain. And, my, you know, my dad would tell me to go pack sand. Yeah. And, um, but, but I really got the bug and I really enjoyed it. So I did everything from, you know, making the bagels to really helping, you know, operate um, the, the stores. Uh, but I will say that, you know, went to college and uh, it was it, it was successful for my family and my father, but it was tough. You know, yeah. he was working his 120 hour weeks, the amount of times that he was sort of bailing, uh, you know, certain employees out of jail or, you know, having to make, you know, come and fill in for the baker at three in the morning. Oops. Yeah. You know, was, there were challenges. So we saw yeah. all of that uh, firsthand. And when my uh, father, you know, fortunately was able to sell uh, those locations, <clears throat> you know, he, he did have some uh, direct uh, advice for me, you know, don't don't ever get into this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that transitions to, well, I was at Penn State, I was a finance major, I was going to go do, um, you know, kind of this finance route, uh, ultimately gave you the finance background. But fortunately, during my time in my 20s, I was, you know, investing a little bit in early stage companies, always had this really entrepreneurial itch and was super, super interested in the, um, you know, the venture space and sort of, you know, acting as an angel um, for some companies. And uh, it just reached a point where uh, I wasn't really doing what I, I know I love to do and want to do. Yeah. And uh, that's where the transition, you know, went and worked in finance, but got the itch and, you know, really wanted to get into kind of this growth space. And that's how I ended up finding, um, you know, kind of coming full circle and connecting restaurants with finance and data. And, but, well, but hold on. Let's that. talk about it. So you're in your 20s and you're, quote unquote, an angel investor. You're like, I'm going to throw some money. I mean, very small, very small stuff, you know, you're, but you're you're learning, learning, trying yeah. to learn, you know, make it by the way, all of those things that I put to work, uh, I don't think any of them were actually successful yeah. in hindsight. What did a lot of those, why weren't they successful? They were ahead of their time. You know, right. now you see companies littered doing those types of things, but, um, it was the right idea at the wrong time, which mm -hmm. is obviously, uh, not advantageous for an investor. No, it's not. And if you think about, I mean, I mean even with my experience, even like in the music business, I, I saw so many bands come through, uh, the major labels and some of them had some great songs, right? But if it didn't hit, it didn't hit. And they never got any further. And it's the same with, you know, investing in these companies. And, you know, I, we were just talking um, about an hour ago before you got in here with somebody else. And, and, and it's the same, you know, it's the same thing. You'll invest in 100 things and 99 of them will fail. 
you, you put it perfectly. You yeah. understand it exactly, exactly that way. It really is all the venture business. You know, you're making a, a lot of yeah. um, bets. And, and sometimes I think that you're alluding to is even sometimes the best products don't prevail. Uh, For the sure. The song doesn't, you know, find its way. Um, so the products that do prevail, that from what you have seen, what what do you think that, what's helped them prevail? What, what was it? What was the catalyst? The most important thing is to solve a problem that's existing. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in enabling, whether it's an incumbent or enabling, you know, that end user that really does have that problem and yeah. helping them directly. Okay. Um, I think replacing and displacing solutions, uh, I think you earn that right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that if you accomplish multiple steps uh, prior, a lot of steps, you know, first you got to be good at one single tiny thing and do that right to earn the right to deserve what you, you know, want next. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, the most important thing is making sure that whatever you are building, um, I, I certainly think it's important to be passionate about it and understand it. Mm -hmm. um, that's why, you know, I, I've come back around to the restaurant industry is, yeah. is this is really what is my why and is so interesting. And while I'm not, you know, currently, you know, operating or freshly operated after, you know, it's been a number of years, I, I stay engaged. I have some investments in, you know, um, some concepts and things like that. But beyond that, I, I will never forget, you know, how it feels to mm -hmm. see my father, you know, someone not coming to work and, you know, him not expected to go in. Maybe he was going to golf that day. Maybe he had to go do something else for business. Well, now he's got to go in. Um, certainly have seen challenging conversations, um, you know, from I think the things we talk about, you know, someone, someone spills something in the restaurant and no one goes to clean it up immediately. Right. There's all these little things that um, really kind of make up, you know, certainly hospitality. So um, just to kind of wrap on, on your question, it's really understanding yeah. um, the end users, what the pains are, and um, you know, make sure you're identifying wherever, whatever solution you have in that process, that it's sort of you know step zero, um, that whatever you're solving for them, if it's a little further down the line, well then you know you need to recognize how are you going to fuel mm -hmm. um, that solution with the inputs that are required to provide that value. It, it's a great explanation because if you really think about it, and and you don't if you don't think about it in the context of how big they are now, but how big they weren't before. You look at eBay, you look at Google, you look at it, they all solve problems. They also have big problems for people that are now just part of people's everyday life. You know, what would you do without any of those functions? <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. So talking restaurant business exclusively, what are some companies you've been involved with? What are some things that you've been able to help, you know, problem solve with? And, and, and where has that gone? And where's it, where is it at now for you? Yeah. Um, so in 2000, late 2016, I encountered and found a, a company based out of Philadelphia called Extra Chef. Uh, it, the solution was a restaurant management platform for the back of house. Uh, and, and I use platform loosely here. I probably should not necessarily said platform, but it was really focused on digitizing the accounts payable process. Okay. So restaurants receive, you know, their food bills, their alcohol bills, their rent, liquor, um, you know, waste, uh, linens, whatever it might be. And you have all of these different vendors that are dropping daily, you know, weekly, um, you know, invoices and items. And so 
So rather than historically taking those invoices, maybe tossing them into a box for at some point during the week, maybe on a Friday, recording those into your QuickBooks, uh, doing all of this manually, and you know that's prone to error and challenges around that, we offered uh, an opportunity for them to simply look, just take a picture right as it comes in. Mm-hmm. We can read it. We can reconcile it. We will auto, we will auto GL code that to your preferred um, GL accounting platform, QuickBooks, uh, you know, Intact, uh, you know, things like a restaurant 365 at the time, Compete, um, you know, all of the solutions at zero, all of these types of solutions out there. But the most, most, most helpful thing, while that was extremely helpful in itself, and these restaurateurs were amazed by it, um, we were also reading all the line items. So you have an invoice with 60 line items from uh, a large broad line distributor that has oranges, lemons, limes, trash yeah. bags. Well, now we were also reading, you know, 20, 30 tra- 20 by 30 trash bag, the SKU number, um, you know, the price, and you can really then start to compare pricing. You can identify that. You the mean the price. technology was reading it? Yeah. yeah what you, you guys said, okay. Making sure that, you know, the price of the item that you expected is what you received it at. And, uh, you know, I could get into this endless. So, um, I, uh, I, I engaged the company and said, hey, look, I'm really, really interested in this. They looked a little bit at my background. They were a little skeptical that I would be uh, ready to kind of roll up the sleeves because basically they said, look, we need we need people to sell. We need someone to sell. And, you know, I was, I think, I don't know, fifth employee or so. So I said, great, I'll come in and sell. And um, we, we continued to have success there. And ultimately, uh, it was just a really, 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 really great opportunity to help um, part of the industry that needs it so badly. This was in New York, or okay. So, the, so our team was based out of New York City, um, and then we were we were co-headquartered Philadelphia, New York City. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you actually go like knock on doors and sell? Sure, sure really, did. sure did. In the beginning, we did knock on doors, and I would say that um, just to be clear, anyone listening out here, uh, there was more of an appetite, you know, in 2016 and 17 to go knock on someone's door and yeah, the purveyor sure. to potentially be there. I would say because of a lot of the advancement over these years has also brought some challenges where uh, I think the appetite for someone knocking on a door and soliciting is 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 sort of a little bit non-existent. Uh, well, now. well l- l- let's just call it how we see it. Nobody has any time anymore. And it's not like people are scared of people coming in. I mean, maybe some people are because of COVID and all this other stuff that's going on. But at the end of the day, especially in hospitality, and we talk about this all the time, and another problem that we're trying to solve, which we can talk about in a little bit, but people don't have any time. When you're in the restaurant industry, you're either making a drink, you're cooking the food, you're talking to a patron, you're trying to pay your bills. I mean, you just don't have time. And so when you randomly walk into a place, hey, I got this thing. It's like, yeah, dude, I don't have time. And then you couple that with where five, six years later now, pandemic happened, yeah. and like there's just been a lot of headwinds. It's It was hard to operate then. It's only become more challenging, for especially sure. for Main Street. Why wasn't it called extra accounting? There's no extra chefs cooking. That's a really great question. (laughs) So the reason the name came out was for extra chef is that when, um, you know, the the two founders were going around originally and kind of soliciting, you know, feedback from chefs, you know, I said, well, like, look, what would you need help with? It's like, well, I need an extra chef to do all the stuff I'm (laughs) going to do. Yeah. And now that, of course, was all paperwork, which is a great question because chefs didn't sign up to be, you know, accounts and paperwork folks. And so sort of that scale has, has, you know, really shifted. It used to, they were probably doing 80, 20, this work they wanted to do to now moving it more to 
well, I'm doing a lot of administrative stuff, and uh, this is just kind of, you know, not why I necessarily got into the restaurant industry. Exactly. So, okay, so you're, you're selling Extra Chef. It's obviously doing well. You're doing good. What, what ends up happening to Extra Chef? Yeah, so, so we're having some really great success, you know, made some great partnerships. Uh, we end up raising a Series A, you know, help make capital introductions there. Um, and what we identified, uh, you know, we didn't integrate at the time with a point of sale. So we were back a house solution that was basically supporting, call it bookkeepers, accountants, um, as well as your director of ops, because they were getting visibility into these individual okay. line yeah. items. Um, and what ended up happening is, you know, I had a partner out there, a little company uh, called Toast, mm. and um, identified uh, at a point that there was only way to integrate sales from the Toast point of sale at that time was to uh, use some middleware. So companies like a Zapier or like a Shogo and, you know, call it, you know, 50 bucks a, a kind of a location um, to just seamlessly get sales information daily from the point of sale into your, call it for this purpose, QuickBooks accounting platform. Yeah. Um, well, at the same time, you know, we, we sort of had the same customer base because, you know, we were working in that uh, SMB and mid-market. And we similarly would hear, you know, kind of the challenges that um, these restaurateurs would complain about, about, well, I, I can't afford this and I can't afford that. So it came apparent to us, because this is what uh, Extra Chef was really good at. We could integrate any of this information into your accounting platforms. Uh, while we were only doing this on the costing side, we thought, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and see if we can um, pull the sales down and integrate that via our basically middleware mm. piece into the accounting platform, into QuickBooks. Right now, we're doing this automatically on the cost side. Can we do this on the sales side? And um, we knew we could do it. And um, we went ahead and, and we basically approached uh, Toast a little bit more and said, hey, we've got something super interesting here. Um, this would be able to uh, basically help your current customers. It could remove a fee for them, and we will do this, you know, basically free of charge because this is what, you know, we did. This is our core business. Yeah. Um, and then certainly for any new business folks for you, you know, this is not something you don't necessarily need to talk about if they're coming from another solution that might have had an integration. Uh, and that proved to be, you know, just super, super valuable. So then, you know, you get into... Um, the nitty gritty, and it's it's really activating this and having this happen into an organization that is unbelievably impressive and big, and certainly had at that time its sights set on going public. And I don't know, I think they had about three thousand employees when we had you know really kind of um, you know shook hands and got into a partnership together. Maybe it was about forty thousand locations, um, you know, second to none. Really, really, really awesome team, um, and so. They were laser focused on continuing to execute on what they've been so great at, yeah. uh, while at the same time they did recognize that this partner has something that can be extremely complimentary for our customer base. But I will say a lot of that onus certainly, if not all of it, was on a tiny little company right. called Extra Chef out of Philadelphia to now go support thousands and thousands and thousands of customers. Wow! Um, so we went ahead, we did that well, successfully, um, and earned the right to now have these, um, you know, restaurateurs' information. And uh, I would say that their expectation had been completed, you know. Yeah. Uh, and now it was basically uh, on Extra Chef to now get creative and have them try to look around the corner at our core product and, and adopt. Wow. Well, that's... I, so... <sighs> You you obviously are, I, I would say, you're still involved at some part or no, totally no. out now. So 
It was great. Yeah. yeah. You want me to finish finish this? Yeah. Sort of story finish there? That, yeah. yeah. So uh, what ended up happening um, from from that point on is uh, basically we were still in a partnership stage, and then it was on our team, which was an amazing team. I mean, worked with really, really, really some of the best people from top to bottom at the org. Um, you know, it's times that we've all always talk about and reminisce, and I stay close with a lot of folks there. Um, but basically, what we needed to do is okay. We went and helped out thousands of customers basically for free. They got mm -hmm. a ton of value. And um, what we would do is, you know, after kind of four or five days, we would give them a call. Keep in mind, this is for a free product. Wow. When have you ever really gotten a call for a free product? And we would just check in on them and say, hey, you know, how's everything going with your um, new kind of extra chef and uh, sink solution? And they say, oh, you know, everything seems to be going really, really great. You know, this is so cool. I'm saving so much time. I can't believe it just appears in there. Like, this is amazing. You know, the money I'm saving is so great. And then we would ask them, like, okay, well, you know, would you be interested in trying to do that with the costing side of your business with all of the invoices and you know they would look at us with five eyes and then they would say I, 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 have, no, I have no clue what you're talking right, about right. say well let me ask you you know like I talked about before do you get a bunch of invoices with information on them and you manually type them into your GL accounting platform and then you record them somewhere else for the details yeah you know we do something like that it's like well that's what we can automate if you just take out your phone that you have in your hand you can take a picture of that if you're a super high volume restaurant you can stack 50 you know disparate invoices together all out of order we'll read all of that wow. um, for you and that will appear in your QuickBooks the same way. And if you don't want it to appear in your QuickBooks because you don't trust it, I get it. It can sit inside Extra Chef, and when you get confident in it, hit the button, and it'll go integrate, you know, over automatically. And um, a lot of these folks were uh, like, whoa, you know, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would like to try that. And, you know, uh, we converted uh, an impressive amount of in individuals uh, and groups and, um they really loved it, and Toast, you know, sort of, uh, we certainly were reporting back to them on the success we were having, and, you know, had a nice par partnership, and uh, that did result in, you know, certainly LOIs and, and you know, NDAs <laughs> and, you know, lifting up the hood oh, and looking yeah. under, and uh, we were fortunate that in June 2021, uh, we got super, super close with Toast. We were really complimentary to each other, and, you know, they decided they wanted to acquire Extra Chef. So then, um, yeah, the story from there, June 21, uh, for me, was until about April or May 22, yeah. really helped uh, to run the existing legacy business while helping to integrate the um, Extra Chef motion into the standard distribution of the Toast, um, you know, ecosystem. And uh, again, you know, the folks over there are really, really, really fantastic and yeah. learned a ton. And it was just amazing to see the leveling up of... Uh, while this is a unbelievably successful company and was there for, you know, when it went IPO, um, at the same time, you know, super nimble, uh, able to make quick decisions. Uh, meanwhile, you've got 3,000 employees. So it was really, really, really impressive. You know, it was truly a still a startup on, uh, you know, on the main stage. That's really cool. Well, yeah, that's a um, that's a. That you were in the thick of probably some of the coolest restaurant technology, you know, that has come in the last however many years. And 
I don't know if that's saying a lot or not too much because if you really look at the restaurant industry, as you and I both know, it's it's a little archaic with you know how they work things and what goes on. It's not a it's not a knock. It's just they're it's almost like a one of these industries that's more manual labor and and you know community driven and stuff like that, where you have to be in front of people and doing other things other than managing you know the the back end stuff, the back of house, so we call it. So now going through that process and you know you're doing stuff now. You're obviously investing in companies. You sit on board. You do a lot of this other, you know, cool stuff that um, somebody like you probably enjoys. But like when you look at restaurant technology as a whole moving forward, what do you think are some of the holes out there that need to be filled? It's a great question. Um, I, I think I think in a way, you know, you zoom out and you think of like how does any relationship work? Yeah. Um, and that means you know whether it's it's you and your significant other. Um, or you and a friend, or you and a stranger, and you know that ne- that that needs to kind of develop. So what I'm getting at is you know integration and cooperation uh, between a lot of platforms. Mm. Uh, it's very important. At the same time, the other end of that, there's costs there. Yeah. And every one of these companies is looking to you know um, develop their own solutions. They have their own roadmaps. They have their own aligned interests. Um, but. I, I am just very, very, very hopeful that I do feel as though we're maybe a little bit in a valley yeah. um, right now. You know, these past five, six years have been super, super challenging for the restaurateur. I think that they have been overteched. Um, I think that uh, they are capable very capable. I think that kind of the way that a lot of this has been presented to them at points. Um, has been it's not necessarily aligned with what their expectation what they heard and what they expected wasn't what was necessarily yeah. delivered and I don't really put blame on on either side there um, I think that there's just a big kind of delta between you know software takes a little bit of time and um, it's not all going to work perfectly day one and we need to have your patience while you're going up against you know not against but your partner there is someone who is for all intents and purposes, getting kind of punched in the face every day. Mm, yeah. And um, as, you know, it's less frequent that you're getting that amazing, uh, you know, $50,000 catering order and probably more frequent that you're, you had a flood. Or yeah. Your, right. uh, you know, your refrigerator went down. And if you catch these people at the wrong time, um, you know, they, they need someone to, you know, kind of uh, let off some steam about and they don't have the patience. No. So although they may have bought in at a time where like, look, things are looking rosy and great and let's do the thing. Life happens. Yeah. Um, so I just really hope that um, one. Uh, you know, companies become a little bit more responsible on what they're able to deliver upon right. at the moment, and you know, kind of keep all the exciting down the line stuff. Uh, if, if folks are responsible enough to understand that is not coming yeah. immediately, yeah. Um, that's just really helpful for everyone. And then, really, most importantly, is you know, not a huge fan of kind of there's a term in the industry of walling the gardens. Uh, 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 you know, for certain companies, when you get um, large, you know, it can be very challenging to manage all of these, you know, software partners that right. the majority of your customers, some of them want them, some of them prefer, you know, one of three, Yeah. but uh, your customer's knocking on your door saying you don't integrate with this one solution and, you know, you're a large company, you're like, you're the only customer that wants that one. Right. Is that is that wrong for the large org to say, look, like, this isn't probably the best use of our resources? No. But... Um, in some ways, I don't want to say you have to, but you know you have to like recognize that. So um, I, I just really hope that kind of you know the walling of the garden can. 
tend to or sometimes box out some of the best innovation and the best solutions. And right now, I think we're still in this, you know, developing um, developing this kind of muscle and this motion in the industry to have the appetite and to understand um, where I want to be eventually, but know that, look, I'm able to solve like 60% of this right now. Right. And the world's going to catch up and it's going to come. Because, you know, there's really, there's no single solution out there. No. Um, yet I, I do know, and over the past five, six years, the amount of, um, the amount of talk from a lot of companies about this is the last this you're ever going to buy and that, you know, there's, there's, there's a consequence to that. And I, and I think, you know, in some ways we're experiencing some of that now. So totally. Great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, you, you and I, for another time, can talk about a solution <laughs> for some other stuff. But seeing that um, this podcast goes out to a lot of entrepreneurs, and, and, and you are one, um, I'd like to know, um, I'd like for them to know, kind of just from um, what it is that you personally like to do day in and day out. What are some of your non-negotiables? What keeps you you know, thriving and jiving every day as far as, you know, whether it be mentally or physically or this and that, um, and, and making sure that you have time for your family and, and all that. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say family is, is just so important, you yeah. know, to start with, you know, um, you know, see my wife, my daughter, they're, they're just the most fantastic. And, um, I, I would say, you know, I was at extra chef when, um, my daughter was born, she's two and a half years old. And the, you know, we, we had been sprinting for four years, which feels great. And I love that. And certainly coming from kind of banking days, you know, long hours and, um, just used to that. And, you know, there's no substitute for hard work, but at the same time, um, life changed. Yeah. And, um, you know, it really opened opened up my eyes and changed perspective in the most fantastic ways. So I, I do tell folks that, you know, you used to be able to have a bad day or, you know, a rough couple of days. Like, now it's impossible. Yeah. You know, maybe like a tough five minutes, but like, whatever. Right. So um, what do I do personally? You know, I wake up in the morning and uh, fortunate to get to hang with my daughter. And, you know, I have my coffee. She has her right now. She, she has some drink yogurts, <laughs> Stonyfield drink yogurts. Um, there's a plug. There you go. Um, (laughs) um, And uh, and we hang. And so that's pretty therapeutic for me to get the day started in the right way. Uh, But then what really drives me is just curiosity. I love learning. I love to be, you know, consuming, whether it's podcasts, um, you know, certainly about the things that I'm hyper interested in, you know, within this industry and, you know, some of the things I'm learning all the time. So that's really, really helpful for me. And having now uh, be fresh, you know, uh, Phoenician, you know, here is... um, um, it, it, I, I'm still, you know, kind of on cloud nine of waking up in the morning and the sun's out and I can walk outside. Yeah. Uh, alternatively, you know, living in Chelsea in New York City, uh, it was tough to find the sun and frankly, it wasn't even a priority. Right. Um, so, so that's really what's got my day. I'm still trying to get into kind of a bit of a routine, but, um, you know, that, that's really what, what is yeah. kind of encompassing. All in due time. That's yeah. great. Um, all right. Some rapid fire questions for you. All right. A uh, three-hour dinner or a grab-and-go? That's a tough question. <laughs> it depends where we're eating. Three-hour dinner. All right. There you go. And, and I would assume like a nice steakhouse or something. <laughs> at least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> not, not McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, can't do three hours there. Uh, Target or Walmart? Target. Yeah. Alanis Morissette or Taylor Swift? I mean, my generation got to go with Alanis. Yeah. Right. I, I just, I know you have a daughter. I uh, look, I love them both. You know, that's yeah. like, uh, it's like having two children on your own. 
Suns or the Knicks? Suns. <laughs> Delta or Southwest? Delta. Snow or sunshine? Sunshine. In person or Zoom? In person. Porsche or Mercedes? Porsche. And sea monsters or land monsters? Sea monsters. I spend less time in the sea. Yeah. 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 Uh, you think? Well, do you think they're more um, prevalent there? I just, I, you know, I, I got less of a chance of running into them. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh, that's so funny. All right. Well, th- this was fun. Is there anything that you want anybody to know about you or, fu- you know, I mean? You know, not, not too much other than, you know, look, uh, the one thing I, I will leave everyone with is that um, going through, through this experience is, you know, having empathy at the moment, I think, uh, going into any restaurant or having any experience, you know, certainly uh, there's a lot of amazing experiences we're always always having. Yeah. At the same time, I know that, you know, more frequently we can be going into places and, you know, maybe services taking a little longer or there's some challenges. Um, just having a, a bit of kind of empathy there is, of course, you know, like the person on the other end most likely doesn't want that to be happening either no. and it's not so much as intentional but you know these are something that the industry is working its way through and you know hospitality uh, to me always uh, should remain uh, can it be more tech enabled sure but I don't think you know the human aspects go away from it no. so um, you know continue to support you know Main Street and the local uh, community that you know you know really you know makes makes their soul everywhere here in America yeah. and I think that that'll just be super super helpful helpful in kind of uh, getting into this real, real, real tech revolution that the industry, you know, is 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 just inevitable. For sure. And and that's very um, that, that's very well said and, and very um, it's just needed. You know, I, 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 I know that we just got to treat everybody, you know, like humans and just kind of understand that, you know, some days are good days or bad days for, for people. And, and I like the local um, aspect of what you're talking about, too. There's a, a festival that I sponsor. I have been for like a decade called Devour. And it's a it's a local food festival out here. It's all local. And so I'll, I'll take you to that this year because it's in Great. February. It's at the, I think it's at yeah, Desert Botanical Gardens. It's ah. beautiful. You walk around and you try all this food. Amazing. Yeah. And it's stuff like that that really that people really enjoy they get to you know yes technology is going to get better and better i think it's you know it will make people's lives better if they choose for it to do that just kind of like social media i think social media is wonderful can it be used to be not wonderful absolutely i mean just like anything can a car be wonderful yes get you from a to b if you drive like an asshole (laughs) a car's not so wonderful to other people so um but devour is a it's a great festival um it's 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 about supporting localism, and I'm not saying like the big boys are, are evil or anything like no. that. But there's a lot of you know people that are that have started these um, establishments and really just grinded it out. And it's really important that you go and, and support them the best that you can. You, you said it. There's yeah. enough room for all of them. Yeah, the, huh. the big folks. There's we love you. you yeah. Know, and and you know there's there's a need for big time. You know, uh, in the community. Hundred percent. And you guys will probably be seeing Jeff. You know, a, a lot more in my. Um, on my uh, social media and all that, um, whether he knows it or not, because of uh, we're working on a, a project together, and, and he 
is involved with Sinatra with me, and, and that has to do with tech and kind of where a lot of this comes from. But more on that later. So thank you for coming. Yes. I had fun. Um, Thanks for having me. I mean, uh, finally. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Only um, two months. Have, uh, I, I hope everybody um, subscribes. Give it a five star. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will uh, check you out soon. Peace.